It's the 23rd of August, 2019. This is the Room Now podcast. I'm Dr. Jack Cush, executive editor of Room Now, coming to you from Bethesda and the NIH second symposium on autoinflammatory diseases. I'll talk about it, that at the end. They say you are what you eat. Well, we're going to talk about how your genetics may shape your microbiome. How could a MDA5 positive dermatomyositis patient be any worse than they already are by being MDA5 positive? And new drug happenings. Drugs are busting out all over the place. This and more. We'll start with a report about knee osteoarthritis, randomized control trial. Not a very good trial, but you know, I'll put it up because I can put up any kind of trial I want. This is a trial of, of curcumin versus diclofenac. It's 500 milligrams TID of curcumin versus 50 BID of diclofenac in knee OA, 139 patients. The endpoint was just four weeks, 28 days. And guess what? They were equipotent. Now, is that a win or not? Well, you know how many of your patients love drugs and how many of your patients love natural products. Uh, Curcumin has been proven over and over to be as effective as non-steroidals. This study and others show, however, that it has less toxicity. So there by itself is probably enough to consider that as a therapeutic alternative in patients with osteoarthritis pain. The CMAJ, the Canadian Medical uh, Journal, has an interesting report of an association between GERD this is a study of over 3,000 patients, so it's not small, but it shows an association, statistical association between GERD and TMJ disorders. I mean, it's a long way from your stomach to your jaw. Somehow they might be connected, but I'm not getting this connection. It turns out that if you, um, that GERD is a risk factor for getting TMJ, um, with almost a threefold increased risk, and in that such patients often have higher rates of somatization, anxiety, and sleep disorders. Now, I get the association between TMJ and sleep disorders and fibromyalgia. Patients with fibromyalgia have a lot of TMJ pain. They often see oral maxillofacial surgeons. It's one of the things that they deal with, and they're not surprised, and they're surprised not knowing how to deal with it. But again, where GERD ties into this, I'm not sure. I don't know if these kind of association studies um, from large databases are real or not. Do you see this? I really don't, but I'm gonna be looking. Analysis of pediatric uh, patients with JIA and FMF um, looked at how often they get infusion reactions when they're receiving biologics. So, this was um, a cohort of um, patients who had received over 32,000 either injections or infusions over a long period of time, looking at the rates of adverse events and specifically the rate of um, serious adverse events, anaphylaxis. What's your number? How often do you see anaphylaxis in patients, either adults or kids taking biologics? They looked at eight different biologics. Turns out the rate was about 3.9% in kids, and most of the events were associated with either tocilizumab or rituximab. I find both surprising. Um, rates of anaphylaxis has got to be less than 1% in my patients, in my, in my hands, but, you know, this is research. They, they were specifically looking at this 
and using um, sort of administrative data to uh, come up with these numbers. Uh, you may be wanting to look at this on your own. MDA5 is a, um, a variant um, of dermatomyositis. Um, these are patients who have severe cutaneous disease. They're at risk for severe lung disease. Um, the presence of lung disease with an MDA5 antibody and dermatomyositis um, is a bad prognostic finding. Uh, in this particular study of 31 MDA5 positive patients, they looked at those who developed pneumomediastinum, about half the group, and those who didn't, and showed that the, having pneumomediastinum, which sounds like a bad complication of lung disease, no matter what your problem is, they nonetheless had a higher risk of mortality, liver dysfunction, even worse respiratory outcomes, and abnormal CT chest scores. So again, if you, MDA5 is not a reason to toss in a towel, it is a reason to worry, but I would say that development of pneumomediastinum would be a worrisome finding and should be um, treated aggressively if that's found. Um, a group looked at gout patients and the association of urate lowering therapy and what that may do to the bones over time. 87 gout patients on urate lowering therapy had serial x-rays and they had serial DEX scans, dual energy CT scans, looking to quantify uric acid deposits, but specifically uric acid or TOFI associated erosive disease. Interestingly, over two years, x-rays showed no changes uh, over time in whether you were on urate lowering therapy or not. However, if you looked at those same patients over two years, but instead looked at DEC scans and quantified erosions by DEC scanning, there was a significant reduction that was associated with the use of urate lowering therapy, suggesting that um, there is a strong benefit to urate lowering therapy, one that's not so easily identified by routine radiography but would be identified by finer techniques, especially one as specific as dual energy CT. So what about microbiome? Um, you know, so it's a lot of research being done on, on the microbiome. This particular study looked at 107 uh, healthy subjects and looked at 696 um, twin pairs from the UK twin cohort. And they then also did microbiome testing on all these patients um, using the usual technique, 16S uh, ribosomal RNA sort of bacterial sequencing to find out what the microbiome was in these individuals. And it showed that the presence of B27 and the HLA-DR beta-1 alleles had a significantly distinct association with microbiome changes, suggesting that your, your genes, your 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 class two and class one MHC molecules can shape what your microbiome may look like and therefore may be important in disease pathogenesis and onset. Last week when we went to press with the podcast, we did not yet know about, but soon found out about that upadacitinib, a new JAK1 inhibitor, selective JAK1 inhibitor uh, was approved by the FDA for use in moderate to severe rheumatoid arthritis not responding to methotrexate and DMARDs. The drug's name is Rinvoke, R-I-N-V-O-Q, um, and it's going to be yet the third uh, JAK inhibitor that will be approved in the rheumatoid arthritis space. Uh, they're given, they were given uh, approval for the 15 milligram once a day dose 
uh, has a lot of the same warnings and um, precautions that you see with many biologics uh, all, and the other JAK inhibitors. Um, but I'll go over them anyway. It's important to know with a new drug. Um, you should be aware of the box warnings for serious infections, including tuberculosis and opportunistic infection. Don't start the drug if you're, if you're having an active infection. Um, um, and then hold the Rinvoke if one uh, serious infection develops. Not a routine infection, but a serious infection. Patients should be tested for the risk of TB uh, and should be monitored for TB. Uh, again, the risk of TB, this is my opinion, not in the package insert. The risk of TB with JAK inhibitors is not nearly as high as it is with TNF inhibitors, but because JAK inhibitors will inhibit uh, gametoferon to some extent, um, there may be a higher risk than with other biologics like abatacept or rituximab. Uh, so monitor for TB and, um, and test for TB. Lymphoma, malignancies, as is, you see with all the other package inserts. And what's new here is, lympho uh, is the risk of VTEs, thrombotic events, including deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, arterial thrombosis, were seen in patients with Rinvoke or upadacitinib. Now, their numbers in their clinical trials and their development program were really quite low. I didn't expect that that would be a box warning here. The FDA, I think, is going forward and now making this a class effect. I don't think because they, they added it, as you know, a box warning to tofacitinib with some of its recent safety data. It was part of the uh, approval for baricitinib. I think you're going to see it with filgotinib if and when that gets approved in uh, the many months to come. So I think it's a class effect now with JAK inhibitors, which is one of the warnings, which says patients at risk for thromboembolic events probably shouldn't be given this particular JAK inhibitor. Uh, and they have other warnings, and this is not box warning, just regular warnings about monitoring for lymphocyte counts, um, hold the drug and don't use it if lymphocyte counts are less than 500, or if the absolute neutrophil count is less than 1,000. Use caution in patients who have an increased risk for gastrointestinal perforations. As you know, uh, IL-6 inhibitors have a risk of GI perforations, but so do JAK inhibitors. And that's in the package insert, or that's been seen with the, with the other drugs that have been studied, including tofacitinib. So that's a warning here as well. The drug is, go is going to be soon available. Its price is going to be a whopping $59,000 a year or $5,174 a month. Um, you say, wow, that's going to be a lot. Well, it's just like all our other drugs. There's going to be a copay program. It won't be that much for people who have commercial insurance. If you're paying cash, you're in trouble. Um, by comparison, it's on par with what's out there for other drugs. So, for instance, the price of um, Humira is $62,000 a year. Reselgence is almost $54,000 a year. Uh, and the price of, of Illumiant or Baricitinib is a bargain at $25,642 a year. That's sort of their commercially advertised price. So again, look for this drug. I think it is an important addition. I think it may change how we use JAK inhibitors now that we have three in the marketplace um, and maybe four in the future. Um, lastly, other big news about Skyrizi. Skyrizi is rising in Rizankizumab, it's an IL-23 inhibitor also from AbbVie. It was approved in April for use in psoriasis. Not psoriatic arthritis, just psoriasis. Um, they published the results of a head-to-head -head trial of Skyrizi versus Humira, um, showing that their IL-23 inhibitor is significantly a, a, a better. 
Avi's banking heavily on the success of Sky Rizzi, Rising Kizamab, uh, and also Hepatocytin or uh, Rinvoke going forward. Uh, and as Humira will go off patent in the next few years, um, it's off patent outside the U.S. It's, it's certainly on patent in the U.S. till 2022, I believe. So in this particular study with Sky Rizzi versus Humira, 605 adults with plaque psoriasis, moniker severe, getting the usual doses, the week 16 results, looking at a superlative outcome of a posse 90, had a 72% for the rizankizumab and 47% for adalimumab. Um, look for this in your psoriasis patients. I'm sure that it's being developed for psoriatic arthritis. The trials are being done, but again, it's really right now just for skin psoriasis. Lastly, we'll talk about pregnancy outcomes in JIA patients. When I've done um, analyses of our patients, my patients who get pregnant, um, certainly we, we see RA patients, some PSA, some spondy patients. You know what? We have a lot of patients who had JIA and who are now adults, young adults, and they get pregnant. The question is, what happens with them? Um, the data here was pretty good. 98 women with JIA um, and th their pregnancies and 21 males with JIA and their pregnancies. And they looked at those who were exposed to DMARDs. Uh, half of them were exposed, I believe, to a biologic. Um, and the majority of them really um, were, were JIA, but there were other uh, uh, pediatric patients who grew up. At this point, I think they were average 23 with 13 years disease duration. Uh, and their rates um, as a result of, of, of being pregnant um, were not higher. In fact, were on par with population-based expectations. So spontaneous um, abortion was 13%. You know, 15% or less is about right. Congenital anomaly was 3.6%. Their numbers range from 3 to 6% in the general population. That's pretty good. They did have a slightly higher rate of premature birth, 12%, and C-sections at 37%. But that's been seen in other inflammatory diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, again, this is a German study. Um, I think this says that your JIA patients can go ahead and get pregnant and expect to do well, even if they have been exposed to a DMARD or a biologic. Look for the war on RA part four, where I talk about Glenn Fry, the Eagles, and why we need to step up like the Eagles did to become notable. I'm now at the NIH Auto-Inflammatory Conference. Um, you can, I'm gonna write about that in the days to come. You'll hear more about that. A lot of great information. Look at the NIH to look at the videos that they're gonna post for you to watch for free. Also, as a result of having this meeting, I developed another website called stills now s-t-i-l-l-s-n-o-w.com you can use it to get information about stills disease the criteria i got a cool um, diagnosis calculator you check the boxes on symptoms it'll tell you whether you meet the yamaguchi criteria the kush criteria or the ilr criteria stillsnow.com that's it for this week at room now we'll see you next week take care